You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to In Conversation. And tonight's guest is a TV presenter and an ex-jockey. He likes to be known as Daddy Cool. So here is Daddy Cool himself. Uh, Mr. Luke Harvey, good morning or good evening, Luke. How are you? I'm really, really good, actually. Um, I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm actually down on in Cornwall for a few days, actually, on holiday down in Padstow in the harbour. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty idyllic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good times. Absolutely. That's right. The weather's... We're, I'm in Somerset, but the weather's not brilliant here, I must admit. It looks a little bit brighter where you are. Well, that, that's fair enough. Um Tell me something. First of all, did you? I, I don't suppose you're aware of it, but uh, your birthday's the same as mine, mate. Oh dear. Well, I hope you look better than I do. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I'm older than you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we're both Rams, so that's uh, that's one consolation, I suppose. Anyway, but um, <laughs> Luke, I want to go back, Reed, to when you you know when did you? What's your first recollection of getting on a horse? Well. Um, I originally come from Devon, um, a place called Bampton, which is sort of between Exeter and Taunton. Mm-hmm. And I'm the eldest of seven, believe it or not. Um, and we 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 had a very small farm. Unfortunately, mother and father both passed away, but we had a small farm. And dad was probably the worst farmer there ever was. Um, and we had sort of bullocks and sheep and what have you. And then we started having a pony or two. Um, and then mum, mum and dad both rode, but you know, nothing to do with racing or what have you. So as kids, you either sort of rode or you got left at home, really. <laughs> so everyone, everyone learned to ride. So although my brothers and sisters, no one else has, has carried on riding horses. Um, we all rode as children. Um, not, not, not good, expensive ponies. They were normally bought from extra market. And always had some sort of kink about them, and would rear or buck or do whatever. But that's that's how that's how my my love started for horses. I was I sort of got traipsed around all the local shows, went hunting um, down in Devon, and sort of learned to ride it. You know, make a mistake, fall off, then learn by your errors rather than having an instructor telling you to sit straight, keep your back straight, and your heels down. So it was a it was a you know a rough and ready start, if you like. How old would you have been at that point then, uh, Luke? Oh, I rode. I rode from. Look, I rode from probably when I was three, four, five. You know, mum, 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 mum kept a diary, um, and when I was seven, I'd written in this diary that all I ever wanted to do was be a jockey, um, and so my literally my whole life was geared around that. That's my excuse. That's just. That's just sort of. Uh, um, code for saying that I didn't do very well at school because I always had an <laughs> ulterior motive. <laughs> you and I have got a few things in common because I didn't either. <laughs> GCSEs, what are they? Um... Oh, no, no, I didn't. I mean, literally, the only the only qualifications that I've got, I've got my pony club B test and about a 25 metres breaststroke badge. That's about it. <laughs> Fair enough. That's one better than me because I haven't got a breaststroke badge. But <laughs> <laughs> I'd sink like a stone. Um, but you were you were born in Hatfield, though, in Hertfordshire. So how did you get from Hatfield in Hertfordshire down to, to uh, Bampton? Yeah, well, well, mum and dad met uh, in Hertfordshire. So, but I was only in, I, I, I barely any recollection of of living 
it, you know, I was in sort of Welling Garden City just outside. And uh, mm. yeah, so so mum and dad came down there with um, with mum's mum and, and, and bought this sort of small holding. It was about 80, 80 90 acres. And, and that's where we all, we all settled. It was, it was in some ways an idyllic lifestyle. We had no money, you know. If we had free school dinners that were comprehensive. So, you know, it, we, were, we were living on a budget, to say the least. But you didn't, it's, you know, it's a completely different age that we live in now. But we didn't really have outside friends from school because when you've got seven, people, seven kids, there's, a, there's enough people to play with without doing anything. So mm, we, yeah. you know, we, we did our own thing there. And, um, yeah, I don't know. We were sort of, I, you know, it, 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 it's, it's funny how, you know, things change. But, you know, a lot of my brothers now live in, live in London and you know, we're all doing different things. So, yes, but it was a, a brilliant, brilliant childhood. But horses were, were always, always at the forefront of everything I did, whether it be leisure, you know, you know, latterly late years, at 15, 16 at school. I, you know, I'm not proud to say it, but, you know, I didn't go very often. <laughs> I was just, I, I, had a couple, I had a couple of pointer pointers and I just thought, well, look, <laughs> this is what I want to do. It's no point me learning about history, geography and what have you, when all I want to do is ride horses. Well, it seems to have all panned out quite successfully, anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> some might some might argue that, but uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it'll never be out of my mind when you when you hit, talk to different people. You're know, down here on holiday, and say, just chatting to people to do something you genuinely enjoy, and I have done since I was since I started work. You know, there's never been a day when I haven't got up and thought, yeah, let's kick on. And, you know, it's, I've been very, very lucky. Now it's time for the first of Luke's musical choices, and it's The Amazing Darts and Daddy Cool. And when I asked Luke if that's what he'd like to be known as, he definitely said yes. So here's Daddy Cool for you, Daddy Cool. I saw a crazy chick running down the street. I said, oh. Pretty baby, why the great big heat? She said, oh wow, I swear, don't you dig the scene? Daddy Cool's playing his piano machine. Well, Daddy who? Daddy Cool. Daddy who? Daddy Cool. Daddy Cool. Cool. So, <clears throat> Tiverton School then, uh, and your one GCSE, I think I've read picked up from somewhere. Um, you know, did you did you get any encouragement from the from the horse side of things that, from the school or not, or did you just go off and do your own thing and that was it? No, the complete opposite actually. I mean, when I was, you know, I'm 55 now, so it's not for a long time ago that I was at school. But 
it was looked upon as from 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 my sort of friends at school as it was a girls thing to do it was a city thing to do people yeah. just didn't didn't do it you know yeah you know we used to have the mick taken at me for riding for riding ponies and what have you but you know it i was totally single-mindedly determined to make a jockey you know i i mm. i just couldn't i couldn't see myself doing anything else um and you know i the minute i could i left i left school at 16 and and immediately um left left devon and went to captain tim forster's moved into a into the lads hostel um because i'd never been away from home i can't remember ever spending a night away from luttrell farm where where we lived yeah um so to go up there was it was quite a shock to the system um and but mum said i wasn't allowed to come home for six weeks and i don't mind admitting i i probably cried for most of the first two or three um i was i was terribly homesick but once once i got into it i don't think i could honestly say i've had a better sort of five or six years of my whole life it was a obviously uh, the trainer captain force army background so there was a sort of a how i'd imagine a boarding school would be and you know it's it's very there were, there were no ifs and buts you start at six o'clock in the morning first lot pulled out at half past seven not at 25 past or 25 to we said good morning sir um everyone was sir or madam and yeah it was although very structured of what we did it, it was absolutely brilliant brilliant fun and you know, if, if anything, that's where I, where I got my work ethic from. I think from those from those early years, you know, whatever nightclub or wherever we found ourselves, uh, we were always in work on time. Because if you didn't turn up, someone else had to do your work, so they made sure you were out of bed. So yeah, it, yeah, it was, it was really good for me. And um, presumably, the fact that Tim Foster was a, a jump trader was the way you went in in that you went jump jockey as opposed to flat jockey. Yeah, although I'm, I'm look, I probably only weigh ten stone now, um, but Lucky I was, you. yeah, I know. But I was still when when I when I left school, I was about eight eight and a half stone. So I was always I was always going to be pushing it, but I might got a bit bigger to actually um, to actually ride on the flat. But no, uh, my 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 roots have always been jumping things, whether it's logs in the woods, show jumps, cross country. You know, I that that was always the way I was going to go. Um, and it was, yeah, it was it was an interesting one, you know. When I moved into the um, when I moved into the the hostel, you know, on the the room opposite me, there was a guy called Richard Westrop, who's now a uh, one of the stewards, chief stewards, stipendiary stewards for the uh, British Horse Racing Authority. Uh, two doors down was Michael Caulfield, who's now one of the leading uh, sports psychologists. So there was a, there was a the real cross section of people. Mm. Um, you know, when you go into racing, not not everyone wants to be a jockey, although I did. You know, some people just want to work with horses and and you know better themselves in the, in the job that they've got and so yeah it was it was quite a mixture yeah it sounds like it now I, I, again I read somewhere I think that you your first ride was this whether this was under rules or point to point I'm not sure but it was a bit of a disaster <laughs> my first ride under rules was uh, at Fakenham and the horse's form was one f one f Mm. and uh that was over hurdles and it was his first go over fences and anyway i was i was a long way clear uh but the horse actually fell um <laughs> this, is a, this is a true story anyway I, it, the horse was ultimately okay but um he was winded and i was stuck underneath him um so the st john's ambulance that was then came over and the st john's ambulance lady very kindly undid my skull cap and took my skull cap off with that, the horse thrashed out, kicked me in the back of the head, knocked me out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was fine before they helped, um, and I woke up in, in somewhere in Norfolk in the hospital. Uh, and of course, those days didn't had mobile phones or anything, so mm. I didn't appear back at work for three days. And Captain and everyone else wondered where I was, but there was no search party sent out for me, so I don't. <laughs> they didn't miss me that much. <laughs> but did, did the horse not die, or did I get that wrong? No, no, the horse was fine. No, he. Um, yeah. No, he was he was fine, but it was, yeah, it was it was a it was a, a pretty rough introduction. But you know that's that's basically the way I conducted myself from 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 early from early mm. doors. You know, I was used to riding rough ponies. You know, and if you didn't get on with them, you didn't have anything. And that was very much how I started race riding. In the sense of, look, I didn't get 
you know, no, I had no, no money or no to buy my own horse or had any relations or anything to do with racing. So you had to take what you could get. And so yeah, a lot yeah. of them were, were pretty poor, to be honest. <laughs> and and um, how long did you go point to point in before you, you went under rules or did they run simultaneously? They, they sort of ran simultaneously. Um, I, I had my first ride at 16. Um, Captain Forster, there was an old horse in the yard that, that couldn't win under rules. So I, I had him as a pointer pointer. Um, he won for me. So which sort of got me going horse called when in Rome. Um, and then I, and then I sort of mixed the two, got my experience, um, in point to points and, you know, ride roads. And actually my, my, my second winner was on a horse called game trust. Uh, and she was Richard Dunwoody's first ever winner. All right. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was it, it was really nice. And so then so then I started riding a bit under rules as a as an amateur. I had my first winner when I was eighteen on a horse called Bickley Bridge, which is a place just outside Tiverton, um, for a trainer called John Roberts and he was thirty three to one. And yeah, that obviously that's that was my first step on the on the proper ladder really. More music now, and this time we've got Head on and the Jesus and Mary chain.
head on there and the Jesus and Mary chain. Now Bickley Bridge, this is this is how coincidental your your story seems to run parallel. Uh, I've got a sister-in-law who used to work for Ron Hodges at Somerton. Yeah. And Bickley Bridge, I th- I'm pretty certain, she certainly remembers him, uh, was at Ron Hodges and she used to look after him over there. I don't know whether that was before he was with John Roberts or afterwards, but he certainly he certainly turned up at Somerton at some stage. He was a gorgeous horse. He really was. He was um, he was owned by, a, if I remember correctly, a, horse, a man called Norman Burfield. And he did pop yeah. him around that. I yeah. think he was at Brian Forsey's for a while. And he used to chop and change him. And I remember, I remember so as an 18-year-old kid having, you know, I hadn't had, I'd had very little experience. And John Roberts said to me, he said to Lukey, I need this. I really need this. Because you're always under pressure with the owner. And so, mm. um for a friend to go and win and there was a there was another actually by Bickley Bridge is that there was a there's a place called Fisherman's Cot as well there was a there's also called Fisherman's Cot as well so it's actually as I said I'm I'm down in Cornwall on holiday at the moment and you go round it's it's unbelievable how many horses racehorses are named after you know down here I've seen <laughs> yeah. lots of different names that, that I that I recognize you know so I'm actually just we just went walking in Constantine Bay, which is obviously a yeah. good horse with Nicky Henderson. Yeah, I know. I know. Quite been there on holiday. It's it's great yeah. if the weather's nice. Um, yeah. If it's not, and you're rich. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I don't know about that, but um, but no, because uh, Norman Burfield was uh, connected to Overtown Football Club, where I was head of media for 15 years before I got involved in radio. So uh, uh, I know I know of Norman Burfield. I've met him a few times. So. Uh, but it's just coincidental that Bickley Bridge. I just remembered it as soon as she's, as soon as I read it. Bickley Bridge, yeah. Bick, where have I heard Bickley Bridge? I've heard that somewhere. So I rang up Mr. Sunor <laughs> and she said, "Yeah, we had Bickley Bridge." So there you go. It's a small world, isn't it? It's a small yeah, world. Yeah, he was. But like anything in life, whatever you do, whether it's football or you know you 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 work in a biscuit factory, there are certain things that that change your career, and and that horse certainly did it for me because. You know, he was my, I think he was my first winner as a professional as well. Mm. Um, I, on on uh, New Year's Day at um, over fences at Exeter. So, yeah, he was a he was a real special horse. And all, all the way through my career, there have been certain horses that have just helped me out when I've sort of fallen into a bit of a hole or, you know, just treading water a little bit that, that have just, you know, helped me along. Yeah. And, um, I mean, as your career progressed, you, you won the Grand National and the Mild May Memorial Chase. Um, any other big races that you can slot in there? That uh... do, do you know what? Like, look, I, my I think my earliest and, and biggest success was um, at the Cheltenham Festival on a horse called To Burn a Lord, mm-hmm. and he won what was the Coral Golden Hurdle, so a three mile handicap. And um, I think I was twenty or twenty one years of age, and and, and I, I I when I look back on it now, I, I didn't I didn't appreciate it enough because I didn't realise it was going to be my only ever Cheltenham Festival. Winner, but he was he was very special to me. Um, he was trained by Jim Wilson, who was a local trainer who had won the race this race before. And I had the sort of um, that sort of youthful confidence. I just couldn't see him being beaten, and you know, I beat Peter Skudamore on a driving finish, and you know, everything just seemed set fair for what was a career at that time. I was dreaming of being a champion jockey, but you know, like everything, <laughs> sport has its ups and downs. And then I I broke my the following summer, I broke my collarbone seven times in, you know, they didn't have the rules that you have now where you have to, you know, have a break after you've broken something. You know, I'd, I'd give it a couple of days and start riding again and then it would break again. And that's why I'm such an odd shape now. But <laughs> so, and then, and then, and so my career went from absolutely flying down to rock bottom, uh, even to the stage when Captain Forster wasn't giving me any rides, and he sort of suggested that I go back to Devon and start riding for a small trainer again. So, you know, you get you get your you get your you know your peaks and troughs, mm. but then and then and then straight away off the back of that, because I had to ride bad horses just to get rides, I rode a horse for Reg Acres called Airbroker, and he'd fallen three times in a row, and then I got the ride on him, and he got round, and then I couldn't ride him the next time, and he fell again. So the owner said, I only want Luke to ride him. Anyway, within within three months, I was first jockey to Red Jacobs, who had fifty horses. Yeah. So it was it's just it, it it's a an incredibly topsy turvy career. What what other trainers did you uh, did you ride for during your career? Mainly, so I started off with Captain Forsters, 
Um, and then I, I always had a Devon connection. So um, I used to ride a lot for Rodney Baker, for John Roberts, so the, the smaller trainers down in the, in the West Country. Mm-hmm. But then I started riding for Andy Turnell, um, yeah. who had some really good horses. He had a horse called Catabatic that, funny enough, it's a bit bizarre, but Simon McNeil and I used to share the ride on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I rode, I rode winners for Jim Joel, you know, uh, used to uh, have all, you know, lo- lots of really, really good horses. Had horses for Henry Cecil and what have you. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I, I've, I've been, I've been, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the best jockey in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, as you, as you said, I managed to win the Welsh Grand National on cool ground, finished fourth in the Gold Cup on him, um, and I was lucky. I rode. It was, it was difficult in one ways because it's a bit like. Um, it's a bit like playing in the FA Cup in the sense of you do your everyday playing week in, week out, and then you go, then you get into the the higher rounds, and you're you're taking on players that are not only better than you, they're fitter than you, they've got better people around them, so it becomes much more difficult. So I was I was riding at a at a lower level, perhaps not even riding a finish for a couple of weeks because the horses I were riding weren't even good enough to get to the finish and then of course then i would be popped onto a really good horse you mentioned one more night he won at aintree for me well i can remember you know i'd ridden such rubbish i don't think i'd got round for two weeks <laughs> and then suddenly you're thrust onto the big stage but you know in some ways it's it's a nice challenge and you know i i, I enjoyed embracing it to be honest and you mentioned simon mcneil simon mcneil came down uh I suppose one of my first involves with with and this was when I first met Colin Brown. Um, we had a, a celebrity cricket match down here in my village of North Perrot, and um, uh, Simon McNeil was one of the cricketers or jockeys that came down to play cricket. So um, I met him down here, and and I met Colin Brown at the same time as well. So Colin Brown and I go back a long way, really. I presume you must have met him at your uh, around the same time then. I, I I I know Colin really well. I my, the first my first hero was a jockey called Sandy May, mm. um, who he's still he's he's actually based down down this way down in down in Cornwall. But it, it's it's bizarre, you know. I I don't know whether it is the the danger, you know, when you're riding in a race, it's about one in every twelve rides falls. So you know, it's obviously a very dangerous sport. Whether that sort of bonds people together, but. Everyone, if, even if I haven't seen Simon McNeil, for instance, for, for six months, we're, we're, we're like best friends when you see each other again. Exactly the same with Colin Brown. Mm. We're all relatively happy-go-lucky, I think, you've got to be to do that, to do that job. But, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a, there's a real sort of camaraderie between, you know, ex-jockeys and, and current jockeys. You know, if a, a current jockey, when I'm interviewing them, for instance, on ITV or Sky, they'll... I, I like to think I can get a better interview than than some, because they respect the fact that I did what they're doing. Yeah, um, and yeah. I th- I do think that's the same with football. You know, I mm. think some some footballers. You know, I, I think Gary Lineker, for instance, can get things out of people that perhaps they wouldn't say to 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 someone else. Yeah, you I know, Robbie Savage yeah. and those sort of guys. I, mm. Yeah, so yeah, so so it's it has worked really well for me. And um, apart from your your. Um collarbones i mean did you get did you suffer any major injuries apart from the collarbones uh it sounds a bit blase but yeah I, i've done i've done loads of different things i my yeah. sho- my shoulders you know I, I broke the ball off the end of my arm and dislocated the, the whole shoulder and um i i think as i said i'm 55 now i think i'll probably have a, a lot of trouble later on in life but you know it's you know dislocated elbows broke arms and yeah but it's it's it, it you know when you see what some sportsmen suffer i was i was very lucky because it's a it's a it's a sport you you can't go into with your your eyes closed you, you you've got to be aware that it's part and parcel of the job yeah so yeah that you never get you never hear a jockey whinging about being injured ever. more music now and this time it's once by liam gallagher it was easier to have fun back when we had nothing, nothing much to manage. Back when we were damaged, sometimes the freedom we wanted feels so uncool. Just clean the pool and send the kids to school. 
I think I read somewhere that you you retired from racing in 1999. Is that right? That sounds about right. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I don't I don't remember going out in a in a fanfare, but yeah, that sounds mm. that sounds about right. I, I basically what I'll tell you exactly what happened is that I was still enjoying my riding, but I'd I'd plateaued out. I was only riding about ten winners a year, mm. um, and then I started working for the original racing channel. A mad dog going mad. You might be having a mad dog going crazy in the background, whether it's trying to attack me, to like look at me. Mm. Um, so I started working for the original racing channel, and they sort of said, started giving me some shifts. Anyway, they said, "Look, we would like you. We think that you know you could have a you could have a career in this." Um, and I said, "Well, look, I want to ride for another year, um, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to combine my media work." with you know with riding as well and so mm. quite often i would go and go to the races have one ride um and then do some interviews with people you know still in my britches and what have you um there was another jockey who was doing the same mark richards so then at the end of that year they said right it's make your mind up time and then i thought look don't be a clown you've got you've got the chance to you know get have a second career and it was rather reluctantly i must admit that um i did it and so I started working for the original racing channel and it certainly wasn't a, although I can't shut up, it, 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 it wasn't an easy fit. I was, I struggled quite a lot with it. Um, I realized then actually how limited my vocabulary was, you know, how, I don't know, I, 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 as I said, I, I knew my subject obviously, but it, 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 it wasn't like I was ever being professionally trained or, or I've ever had a, a day's training to, to, to broadcast, but you know, in the end, I sort of, well, I say, got a hang of it. In the end, I developed my own style, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, but I mean, having said that, the one thing that has always amazed me, I mean, you know, I, I love watching the racing. I, I personally, I prefer flat. I don't know why, it just seems more glamorous, I suppose. But, you know, I listen to you and to Jason Weaver, Francesco Kimani, the amount of knowledge that you seem to possess that you can just just like turning a tap 
and out it comes and this road this horse rode here and it won there and it won by six lengths and i just find it amazing that you can you can carry all that information with you and 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 you know bring it out straight away um yeah so no i just how do you do that i mean is it a lot of work involved in it i won't lie the the there's an awful lot of homework goes into you know when i work for sky and for itv i do an awful lot of homework but you've got to offer something different you can't you know once someone said that horse won really nicely last time at windsor uh, and he was an unlucky second last time it's no point me then saying yeah he was unlucky last time and uh, so, so you've got to offer something different so it's worked really well for me which seems bizarre but they send me down to the starts quite often yeah so i yeah. end up talking about horses in the starting stools different characteristics what they're like you know what they're like it's it's a bit like being in the dressing room at wimbledon or you know mm. in uh, you know and in the changing room at lords it's it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful you, you get to see these horses and jockeys away from the hurly burly of the grandstands and people all shouting and screaming and then you get to see them you know, just behind closed doors. And, and so that's worked really well for me. I, I understand horses. I, I like horses. And so I, I, I feel I can bring a different perspective. And, and some, some professionals might not like it because in some ways you perhaps need your granny to suck eggs. But having said that, it, we're all about, I think, the more you know about a subject, the more you, you can enjoy it. And so if you're telling people, you know, that the reason the jockey's got off is because the saddle might have slipped and this is what you do to, to put that right or, the, you know, the bad a horse losing a, a shoe or something, I, I, I think can only be good for the game. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I quite agree, you know. I, I mean, have, have any of the jockeys ever told you where to go when you're down at the start and you start chatting to them? <laughs> <laughs> on 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 a very regular occasion, yes. But, oh, right. uh, but 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 the great thing is that I'd be very lucky. That it hasn't managed to go on air yet. But no, they they they. Do you know what the, the the new breed of sportsmen? You know the days of Pat Edry and Lester Piggott not wanting to speak at all. Hmm. Those days are gone. They 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 embrace they embrace what's going on now. And I, and I think you find it. You you'll very rarely find a top sportsman. That isn't that isn't a brilliant communicator because it's it's almost part of the job now. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you 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 get put in the in the good team uh, or on the best horse because the owner or the, the the person in charge likes you or likes what you can do. So you've got to conform. You've got to be able to, you know, be able to be multifaceted. To be honest. Yeah. Well, of course, you've got you've got Mr. Personality as well, haven't you? Which must be a great asset. To have around the place with Frankie Dettori, of course. Yeah, I, I get on, I get on especially well with Frankie. And yeah, he's he's brilliant for the game. Yeah, absolutely, he he's magnificent. But you know, it's, it's not not just him alone. The, the the young jocks just coming through. You know, the other day I was at Ascot. Charlie Bishop was absolutely excellent. Even Martin Dwyer has been riding for for ages. You know, it all when they just say one little thing to you down at the start. Hey, all right, Luke. All right, Baldy, or something like that. Yeah, they they. It, it 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 makes it makes the viewer feel involved and and i think that's what it's all about is racing for too long it's been standoffish mm. where people mm. thought it was an elitist i mean look it, you, you need you need a certain amount of money to be involved in it but now with these syndicates and what have you that there's more and more people getting involved and and you know I, I like to think that's what we we are hoping to promote anyway well, I've got involved, and I, you know, I'm not a rich man, but I, I'm part of um, Hot to Trot, you know, with Sam Hoskin, mm. and uh, yeah, it's, it's great. You know, I enjoy it. I, you know, there's, there's loads, there's loads of them. You know, Midland Park Owners mm. Group, Elite Racing, Hot Trot, as you say. Mm. You know, the it, and and they and and they work because people get involved, and you know, you've often hear trains that people start off with a small share in a syndicate, and then before you know it, they they own two horses in the yard outright. You know, so yeah, no, yeah. it's. it's it's a good, it's, look. It's a it's a wonderful industry to be involved in, but I think that the key to everything is getting uh, more information out there so people actually understand it more. Mm. Now it's time for a bit of Johnny Cash and Hurt. I hurt myself 
today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting try to kill it all away but I remember everything what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in the end and you could have it all my empire of dirt Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all Johnny Cash there and a song called Hurt. So, how did you uh, end up at ITV Racing then? Because uh, that the Racing Channel was uh, one thing, but ITV is you know national. You must have been chuffed with that. I was very, very pleased. I was sitting in my local pub. I actually used to run it called the Blowing Stone, having a pint. And um, Richard Willoughby, one of the the producers at um, ITV Racing, phoned me and said, did I, Jason Weaver and I, would I like to be, would we like to be part of the ITV team? And um, which, was, which was obviously a great honour. Um, it basically started on Sky. Jason Weaver and I do a programme called Get In on a Friday night mm. uh, during the winter. And one of the, produ- the producer who produced that, Paul Cooper, he now works for ITV Racing. He's never said, but I'm assuming he put a word in for us. Um, and... So we got on the team. Uh, we were given a 15-day each contract. Um, and then we had a big practice day at Cheltenham. And some people did better than others or what have you. And, and after, after that day, uh, they phoned me up and said, um, we'd like to amend your contract. We, we're going to give you 50 days. So, um, yes, yeah, <laughs> that worked well. And, you know, at the moment, I'm probably doing... I don't know, probably 65 days a year for ITV and 100, 120 for Sky. You can't so, go wrong then, can you? Well, I don't know. You can. You can always go wrong in broadcasting. You've got to, you know, you've got to be careful. But, no, it's, it's, 
I, I feel incredibly that's the seagull in the background. Yeah. Um, I feel incredibly lucky to do something that you enjoy doing, you know, I, mm. and, and I, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never not feel lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Obviously you've got to be good enough to do it, but on the other side of it, you know, when you see how hard some people have to work and we're all whinging after Royal Ascot when we're on from half past one to half past six, and we're all absolutely exhausted after five days doing that. And, you know, and then you start thinking to yourself, come on, mate, get real. <laughs> mm. You know, it's only just talking about horses. So, um, but it, yeah, must, so it, I, it must be nice mixing with people like, you know, Sir Anthony McCoy, Ruby Welsh, Francesca Kumani. I mean, you know, you mix with, with the royalty of, of racing, really, well, don't you? Well, well, I'd rather mix with Francesca than the other two you just mentioned. But well, yeah, yes, uh, so, no. so would I. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, and uh, this sounds awful, awfully corny, but we all get on brilliantly, you know. Mm. And so, like, for instance, I'm looking forward to coming up. We've got uh, Glorious Goodwood. We stay away for five days. It's not the hardest work in the, in the, in the world. You're, you're enjoying, as long as you know your subject, you're enjoying what you do. It's, it's, it's just magnificent. It's, yeah, we have a right good laugh. We do a job as as best we can, but we have a we have a really good laugh, and yeah, it's it's um, yeah. I, I I feel I feel very blessed. I think do you know. I think it sort of sounds a bit philosophical now, but I think just in not only what I do, but in life, as long as you get to the point, you've got to get a point with whatever you do. But there's a there's a bar. You say yes, I'm really happy. I'm really proud. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I'm really proud of what i've got and where i am uh, because if you don't ever get to that sort of stage you you're never happy and mm. so but to do what i'm doing is is you know it's just it's extraordinary i really do have to pinch myself thinking you know you're working for the best for the for the host broadcaster of the sport that you love mm. um you know it just it, it doesn't get any better than that for, for me there'll be lots of people thinking uh, what's how can that clown be happy just running around at the start talking about talking about horses day in day out but yeah i genuinely i genuinely love what i do i can concur with that because when i got my job at yeovil town football club i mean i've football's been you know i love football basically and i love horse racing as well but um you know to get a job working for a football club and and i was there for the best years that they've had um uh it was great well you you know i but to to do you know, I've never met before, but to do what you do with, say, a Yeovil Town something, you've got to be passionate. And mm. and that's the other thing about television, that the viewer will always see through you. If you're if you're false or if you're you know, you're you're not sincere, you're you'll always be found out. And so for that reason, you've you've got to love what you do. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And now Luke's final choice of music, and this one's called She Sells Sanctuary, and it's by The Cult.
girl band they're called the cult and she sells sanctuary yeah because I, I i mean i was lucky in that, that I, I i started my first year we won the fa trophy at villa park which was the first trophy oval had ever won and then from then on we moved on and eventually we had the the, the epitome was we we won we beat brentford at uh, wembley and went into the championship which which was just, you know, out of this world for a little club like Yeovil to be in the championship. It was just unheard of. And built up a great relationship with Gary Johnson, who was the manager. And yeah, no, I mean, I, like you, I can look back on it and it, it was fantastic. It was great. Um, I met all my heroes from Manchester United when they came down to play Yeovil as well. So, it, it, you know, it was just the dream, the dream job, really, just like yours is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the good thing is, is that, um, in sport, minnows do have a chance. You know, mm. Leicester winning the Premier League just gave everyone hope. And it's a bit like, you know, horses winning the Grand National at 100 to 1. You know, everybody has a chance. And that's and I think it, it, it reflects life as well. I think, you know, people, you know, you can do it. You, you see some people that are just so determined. I, it's, it, I find it fascinating. I, lo I love reading or actually do I, I listen to books on audiobook but just listening to how sportsmen have, have or, and women have done things you know I, I know Victoria Pendleton quite well and you know she says that oh, I've got no ability as a, as a sportswoman but I'm just determined which is must be rubbish because you've got to have a certain amount of ability but that just shows you you know McCoy hmm. used to say Anthony McCoy used to say no you know that he he didn't get concussion because he, he was strong enough to to stop getting concussion if you sort of I mean which is again ridiculous but that just shows you what goes through these people's minds you know how how what strong you know characters they are and um I, i'm certainly not that because i remember i remember sitting in the in the weighing room watching peter skudamore going through sort of the torment that he went through to to, to become champion jockey and stay being champion jockey and I thought, even if I was good enough, I don't want to do that. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's it's, it's you know, it takes you've got to be a strong person. Well, you must be if you get people like Barney Curley coming up and starting threatening you. <laughs> yeah, my my most famous interview. Yeah, yeah. Barney Curley. But um, no, unfortunately, he sadly he sadly passed away. But yeah, do you know what I? It, it is literally water for ducks back to me. I'm 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 pretty resilient. I I I don't I, you know I, I, I'm my own fiercest critic, and I know when I know when I've been I've I've done well broadcasting, and I pat myself on the back, and I know when I've done badly, and I and I try and try and get better the next time. But I'm lucky that I've sort of invented my own individual style and the way I do things. Some people like it, some people hate it, but that's just the way. That's just the way it goes. But just uh, finally, just to sort of round things off, you, you play. Uh, I've got to be careful how I do this because I don't want this to sound insulting. But, but you sort of you provide the cabaret, shall we say, for for, for, for <laughs> well, ITV racing. So I mean, you know, was, is that is that a, a, a determination on your part to do that, or is this part of the the deal that they want you to do that? There was never ever. Um, any sort of preconceived ideas or, or, or how it was going to pan out or where my role was going to be. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm naturally quite self-deprecating anyway. And that's sort of, they sort of latched onto that. And, and that's basically where, where we found ourselves. Um, never feel sorry for me. I, I, I love what I do and mm. I, I love what I do. And so it's, um, it's, it doesn't really it doesn't matter to me, and and I don't I don't mind being the butt of a few jokes because, you know, it's like I say, it's water for ducks back. But they're the they're the best bunch of people you'll ever have, and it's nice that I sort of found my my niche. Would would, would your niche have included wearing trainers to Royal Ascot though? Sorry, but my would your niche include wearing trainers to Royal Ascot? <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, every day at Royal Ascot, I was walking uh, about six miles. Yeah. So, I, if you think I'm doing that in, in <laughs> proper black leather shoes, you've yeah. got another thing coming. So, yeah. no, I was not. <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> you didn't get any, any fallout from the stewards or anything up there then? No, I, I think the dress code is, is relaxed when you're a mile and a half away. 
I do, unfortunately, sometimes I go to I go to every major festival, flat race festival, and every single top jumps meeting uh, throughout the year. And quite often, I never get to see the finish of any race. So no, it's quite no. a unique job I have. <laughs> well, I can remember seeing you just fairly recently. Last time I went to Wincanton, you were doing it down there and, and doing the sort of hospitality bit and, and, and the announcing bit when the horses were coming into the winners' enclosure. So I can believe that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, no, it's, it's... Luke, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you, really enlightening, really entertaining, really amusing and the fact that we've got so many things in common like being only one GCSE and uh, 28th of March 19 well mine was 1947 so I was a bit a bit before you but uh, um, it, no it's been good it's been really good so I'm really grateful to you for that thank you ever so much for coming on the show really do appreciate it I'll drop you a line and let you know when it's going to go out on air and um, yeah thank you ever so much well thank you and good luck to Yeovil Town You have been listening to In Conversation with A.D. Hopper. Every week we get a sporting personality to come onto the show to give us the lowdown on their whole career. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. And a big thanks to Luke Harvey from ITV Racing. <laughs>